Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it only took a week, and it happened to me. My Boseiji reaches Skyward, got main deck spell pierced yesterday. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. I'm so glad that only took a week. That means there's many more spell pierces in your future. I know, I can't wait. And it was in best of three, no less. So Oof. I can't wait until the best of one meta adapts to sagas being busted and people actually start playing that card. That is incredible. Yeah. I, do you think Spell Pierce has an actual place in the format given how good the sagas are? I think maybe. But what I want to know is how many people have been Spell Pierced. That's what I want to know. <laughs> I just want to survey the world and I want to know if people have been Spell Pierced. So tweet at me. <laughs> I've been Spell Pierced. I don't remember it as specifically and painfully as I'm sure you do, but uh, <laughs> but I know it's happened to me for sure well that makes um, me feel better yeah yeah for sure you know there's a there's a whole support group out there and get get it ben on uh twitter at mr metronome let him know about the spell pierces we need screenshots we need a just more people in the support group <laughs> uh how are you enjoying the second week of neon dynasty my friend it is awesome it's really fun the drafts are fun and i think the gameplay is really really fun there's been so many games where i've been a one two three life you know and turned it around because of sagas coming off of you know their third chapter and turning into creatures i've been on the aggro side of that you know where you're trying to push through those last points of damage there's just a lot of push and pull in the gameplay it's really cool yeah, I agree. I've had, I definitely had those games where you're like hanging on by a fingernail and then you get to pull out the W or your opponent has seemingly stabilized and you just need to top deck that Simeon sling for that one last point of damage <laughs> to finish them off. It's very, very sweet. Yeah, I really think that there hasn't been like a limited format that it feels like almost everybody has rallied behind as this is great. Like it seems like the discourse on Twitter, the discourse in Discord is just like people are enjoying this format. Like are some people having you know less success here than they did in Vow or vice versa? sure but like i think everybody seems to either way be enjoying this this set yeah and i really think we're going to talk about this a little bit in the episode but i think it only goes up from here i think as people start taking the sagas more highly i think that is you know the one blemish on the format right now is just how busted the sagas are and how late they're going in the drafts yeah. So what we've got in store for you today, I mean, Ben's alluding to it with how powerful the sagas are. The title, The Saga of Neo, is here. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the format. Just, again, big picture stuff. You know, I, I tried to put together some show notes of something a little bit more specific, and it just felt like it's it's a little too early in the format, I think, to be like hyper microscoping some stuff like that. I think things are still shaking out in a way before we're going to see the next whatever metagame shift. Hopefully that shift will be people recognizing sagas being busted and taking them higher. And I think we probably will see that much like in Kaldheim when it felt like you could do all the snow stuff and then that shifted to, OK, people are catching on now. What's the busted thing to do? I think we'll see that uh, happening in a little bit for sure. So I'm just excited to pick your brain. You've outlined some really awesome show notes here, and I am mostly in agreement. I'm excited to pick apart the differences as well um, and, and really talk about our experiences over the past week of drafting. But before we get into that, a few housekeeping things. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff happening over on the Patreon page. We've got access to our Lords of Limited Discord. We talk about it every week as the best 24-7 limited tech support spot on the internet. You get access to our show notes and access of and access to the show a day in advance. We record on Sundays, release on Mondays, but those patrons at that tier and above get access to the show on Sundays, baby. You also get access to our draft logs and deck picks, get access to a private section of the Discord, get access to a quarterly like draft hang, drafternoons, we're calling them. That's a new uh, <laughs> rollout that we have over on the Patreon. And of course, monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So any and all that stuff is over at the Patreon page. And if you're interested in giving back to the show and seeing which of those rewards works for you, 
uh, that's the place to go. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. And we've got a doozy number of folks here to welcome to the fold this week, Ben. So I'm going to ask you to help me in welcoming Robert, David, Andrew, Ryan, Garrett, Gorm, Alex, Joe, Chris, Christian, Duncan, Mike, Mark, Anthony, Matt, Tyler, Stephen, Nathan, Foster, and Nathaniel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I just want to put in one more good word for the Discord. I'm in it a lot, you know, these first week or two of a format because I want to see what other people think and, you know, see all the opinions and get all the information I possibly can. And it really is just an awesome community. So to everybody that's in the Discord, Thank you for being great human beings. And I will just just tag on to that briefly and say a huge shout out to our mods. Our mod team in the Discord is A+, and we could not have the community that we have there without them. 100% agree. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need, magic-related or flesh and blood or Pokemon if you're into that sort of stuff. But we assume you're here for the magic. And that means Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, whether it's sealed product to draft with friends or whether you're getting you know, some singles for a commander deck, if you play limited and constructed, whatever the case may be, when you head on over to Channel Fireball, please use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know that we send you over there. And just again, much like shouting out folks in the Discord, I want to say a huge thank you to Channel Fireball for supporting the podcast. All right. So I have some sins to atone for this week, Ben. Ooh. I, well, I don't. I, the thing is, is I don't really feel like it was a sin, but I do feel like it was perhaps received as a sin. So forgive me, listeners, for I have sinned. <laughs> I want to walk back that I think red, my statement of red being the best color in the format. That's what I said last week. And I don't believe that's true. Tell me more. I will say, however, that red is, I think, my winningest or second winningest color, especially when I've paired it with black. I'm 14 and one with black red decks in the format. So my like experience of the format is skewed a little bit because I think I understand red perhaps a bit more than the community at large. And we sort of touched on that last week. Like red doesn't play well with others. You have really have to be all in with red. Red is sort of doing its own thing. It's not about which color you're pairing it with. I think slightly with an exception to black. Um, the one drops are really important. Build it as an aggro deck. You have to like have a super low curve to make the synthesizers good, etc. I think that's a lot of like boxes or columns or things to check off that I think probably a lot of folks or casual drafters aren't doing. And so then they're misbuilding their red decks and not having success with it. So I just want to say that we're going to take a look here at updated color rankings. And I want to sort of, I guess, not really apologize, but sort of put some more context in where I was coming from last week and where I'm still coming from this week in terms of my feelings about red. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree completely. I had red as the second best color and it has also moved down for me. But I think the thing to know with all of these color pair rankings that we're going to talk about here, or not even color pair rankings, just the color rankings, is it's all fairly close. I think Yes. to me personally, I, I had green number one last week, and I think green is still number one for me this week. I think the green sagas are absurdly powerful, and I think green gives you the best support to mess around with the sagas and abuse them and recur them. And I think the sagas are the single most powerful thing in the format that are happening. And I think it's it's borderline cycling levels of broken in the format, except, you know, the cycling deck at least had some sort of a cost of entry, right? You had to take picks on the one mana cyclers and you might get cut out of it. The sagas are just pure upside. If you don't get things that work with them, they're great cards. And if you get things that work with them, they're even more powerful than they already are. So just a little behind the scenes of sort of the genesis of this week's episode. Ben messaged me on Discord a few days ago and he was like, hey, where are you at on the format? Right now it feels to me like green saga decks and the decks that can't get into green and are trying to go underneath. It feels like we should talk about sagas and all the ways to abuse them. And 
you know, I'm generally not good at like putting such a clean stamp on a format or like a clean stamp on, you know, what's the best. And I also think this is just sort of a different approach. And one of the things that I think makes our dynamic and the podcast good is I think you are much more interested in let me solve the format in the what is the best thing to do way. And I'm much more of a holistic, like, I'm sure everything (laughs) is good. Let's try this and let's see what how we can make this bad seeming card work out, you know. Um, And I think that gives us a, a really good approach to limited and a lot of good information to give to our listeners. But then, so I was like, I don't know if how I feel about like that stamp on the format. Like, I feel like a lot of stuff is viable. I like the sagas, but I don't know how busted they are. And then like every draft I had after that, I was like, oh yeah, well, I guess I am just taking the saga here and I'm taking the saga here and sent Ben a screenshot where I had like five Okiba Reckoner raids <laughs> and a Machiko's Reign of Truth and then sent him another draft this morning that was like, you know, eight sagas and just like mono enchantments and Sultai Dirtle with three shrines, like. So I agree with you. And I think, again, you're just very good at assessing that and like really putting a clean stamp on it. And I do think that the sagas right now are the best thing to do in the format. Awesome. Well, and I think some of it has to do with best of one, right? So I was just telling you this before we recorded. I played best of three yesterday because I hit mythic. And so I want to hold on to my rank there. And I want to practice a little bit for the arena open and the MIQ that's going to be limited because last time around in Vow, I felt like I was a little out of touch with best of three and sideboarding and the speed of the format and not having a hand smoother and all of that. Well, and there's something even more important than the arena open and the MIQ to practice best of three, four, and that's the Lowell versus LR showdown that's going to be this coming Sunday. Next week, it's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern. Ooh, heck yeah. All right, sweet. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, quick ad there. I love it. And so I think... Best of one has a tendency to show you what's good in the format quicker because Mm. theoretically, you know, you have a good hidden MMR. So you're playing against people that are good and everybody's incentivized to try to do the best thing. And, you know, after that first, you know, three days of playing, playing a whole nother week, it became very obvious that I was playing sagas and my opponents were playing sagas. And the matchup was either saga versus sagas or it was me playing sagas and my opponents trying to play ninjas or red decks and get it underneath. And usually... The saga decks went out because I think there's too many sagas going late, right? So I mm-hmm. think the format is only going to get better from where it is now because as people start to contest those sagas more, the saga decks get that much weaker to where maybe you don't have that second life of Toshiro Umazawa to really punish your aggro opponent. Or maybe <laughs> maybe you don't have that second Maseju Reaches Skyward to go over the top and close the game out, you know? And just mm-hmm. that one or two premium sagas less, I think, makes it to where those other decks that aren't solely focused around sagas get a chance to compete a little bit more okay so let's throw out your color rankings here and and let's see if i'm lockstep with you or not i think i would be green one black two blue three red four and white in fifth place so for me i think it's all very close and i think right now for me it's green gap and then those other four and i think once people start contesting the sagas a bit more it all sort of starts to get a little more even Yeah, I think for me, I've got black and green swapped. So I would say black one, green two, blue three, and then I'd swap red and white. I'd put white fourth and red and last. And red and last, not again, as a condemnation of the color, but just more of a... And and the reason I have black in first is I think black plays the best with all the different colors, like all the black color pairs I'm happy to draft. And red, I think, plays the worst with all the other colors. And I think because they're all so close that what those colors are able to do with each other uh, has value for me. 
I think that's absolutely true. I, I agree that you're happy playing every black color pair and you're not super happy playing green and red together no. unless you just get great cards because they're the colors are such at odds with what they want to do. Yeah. I think the argument I would make for green being the best is I think it's got the best sagas and just a bunch of other great cards. It's got Blossom Prancer, which is just absurdly powerful. It's got Capitec Wrecker, which is absurdly powerful. So I think it's uncommons and rares are really good. And when you get into green, you just get to see and play those cards more often. And I think those are the cards right now that are dictating who wins the game. So my pushback to that, if we're talking about sagas, is I think black sagas are kind of better than greens. And for my money, I think Life of Tashiro Umazawa is better than Besager Reaches Skyward, and I think is one of the best uncommons in the set. And so then if I would rank, if we're talking about black and greens, sagas i would put life one and then besager regis skyward two if we're talking about non-rare sagas i should say right so i put life one besager regis skyward two and then i think i would put reckoner raid three i think i'm taking reckoner raid over azusa's many journeys and i think certainly over tales of master sashiro that that's my feeling right now so if we're talking about sagas i would say i would put that argument more in in black's favor than in green's favor i think for me i want to be green enough that i'm taking Besage reaches skyward over life of tashiro i think they're close enough i do think life of tashiro is a better card but i really want to get into green right now so i think i'm mm-hmm. taking Besage over life of tashiro mm-hmm. and then i think azusa's many journeys once you are green is definitely better than Okiba Reckoner Raid if you're heavy mm-hmm. green. Because mm-hmm. I think when that comes down on turn two, yes. it enables some of the most busted starts you can have in these green decks. Yeah, I mean, going many journeys on two into Besager Reaches Skyward on three, that is a really hard start to beat. Yep. But yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think one of the things that I'm also getting caught up in, I know you know, I know Ben is not a big data boy, and so I'm going to do my best to not like <laughs> shout numbers and percents at him. No, um, you can. Go for it. I'm, I'm immune after Twitch chat. I'm ready. Well, one of the things that I noticed looking at, you know, looking at the top commons by game and hand win rate, it's interesting right now, Okiba Reckoner Raid is the number one common in the set, followed by tied for first Virus Beetle, both at 62%. Um, But the top nine commons in the set are all Esper and then Fang of Shigeki coming in at number 10. And so I think one of the things I'm getting caught up in is that like the ceiling or perhaps like, you know, the upper echelon of the commons of other colors is higher than greens. But once you get to that like second tier, and I have no idea what like the best commons are for green or like wh- if I were to rank the top three, like am I supposed to put Fang of Shigeki at number one? I don't know. But green has, once you get past that top echelon, green's commons are so deep. There's like 10 that are all sort of tied for first in a way. Yes, I agree with that. And I, I do definitely agree that other colors have better commons than green. But I think the case for green is that it's super deep and all of the commons support green's uncommons super well. And green definitely has the deepest and best uncommons in the set. Yeah. Well, again, I don't I don't know if I agree with that because I think <laughs> black really gives its run for its money. But yes, uh, I, I'm with you there. I think the floor of green is pretty darn high. It's I think probably even if the ceiling of other colors is higher, the floor of green, I think, is higher than the other colors a lot of the time. Well, so list list blacks. Let's, let's go off script here for a little bit and take a second. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Let's let's list the top uncommons and compare cuz I think green smashes black. No? Uh probably, right? So the what so so we've got Life of Tashiro Mizawa and Long Reach of Night and Assassin's Ink and those are probably like the three uncommons that I really like in black. And then if I'm looking at green, 
There's Kappa Techwrecker, there's Blossom Prancer, there's Besager Reaches, there's Azusa's Many Journeys. I'm lower on Azusa's Many Journeys than you are. There's Spinning Wheel Kick that I don't think quite makes that cut, but like is still a lot better than we thought. Generous Visitor. Goshintai is really good. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on Goshintai being really good. Like, but you're right. There's so there's like three black uncommons and like five, six green uncommons. And probably the ceiling on those uncommons maybe is higher like kappa tech record is ridiculous and probably the best uncommon yeah i think so so i i i'm i'm i i hear what you're saying i just don't think it's like maybe it's close but clear but it feels really close to me well and so the thing i would say is that i feel like whatever you know we've talked to the, about the fact that prince pauper is outdated whatever but i i feel like this format more than any other the number of premium uncommons i have really dictates a lot of the games and who casts more of those premium uncommons right now. Like, I feel like those are the things that are driving games because so many of them are at the B plus A minus power level. Yeah, one of the I was watching your stream yesterday and, you know, you're playing one of these long grindy games and someone in chat was like, despite what's happened and despite your opponent playing XYZ, it feels like we're still ahead. And you just very calmly and quickly said, yeah, we just played more cards that mattered than our opponent. And I was like, again, it just feels like a very succinct summary and assessment of the game and like how decks are functioning and how decks are matching up against each other that sure synergy matters but at the end of the day i do think raw card quality is winning out because the raw card quality contributes to that synergy i don't think we're in a i don't think we're ever really going to be in a spot again where we're playing bad cards to make our good cards or bad cards better you know you want your cards to perform on their own but then it's about and this was sort of one of the things i was trying to articulate when I was messing around with what I thought maybe the show notes for this week should have been. But this idea of like you, there's like overarching synergy for your decks, but there's also like pockets of synergy and you don't want those pockets of synergy to deter from one another because you can get into these awkward spots where you're like, oh, I want to make my artifact stuff work. But then I also got this thing that wants artifacts and enchantments. And as soon as I'm trying to do that, then I feel like I'm being pulled in different directions. And so am I doing the A plus E thing or am I just going all in on artifacts or whatever? Like th- there's there's some tension there and some some pull. And at the end of the day, I think you just want your cards to like perform consistently game after game. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, okay, so that's black and green. Then we get to blue, which uh, I think we're assessing as having the third best sagas and a lot of self-contained synergies, right? You've got the ninjutsu packages. The two common ninjas are quite good. Um, the moon circuit hacker and the the moon snare specialist being enabled by the network disruptor and modern age when it flips i think that's really sweet and there's just like good little you know you can get the sort of looting synergy and maybe get a containment construct which is obviously one of my pet cards in the format um it can play very well with black or green ninjas you're happy with most blue combinations other than blue white and even blue white can do some stuff i just think you want to make sure you're not thinking of it like blue white vehicles yes i completely agree and i think to me those three colors and the fact that those three colors have the best sagas mm-hmm. is is why they're the three best colors right now. <laughs> and I think, yeah, again, once people stop passing things like Besager Reaches Skyward, fifth pick, sixth pick, green's definitely going to get a knock because it's not as good at common. And then those other colors that are good at common get a chance to start to compete a little bit more, I think. Well, and one of the things that green also does, I mean, there there is colorless fixing in the format as well, which is, I think, one another really, you know, huge 
boon in the format's favor, which is that you can have these like streamlined two color decks. You can have these like two color decks with a light splash. And you can also just have these like sort of straight up three color decks or like a really deep splash for five, six cards of another color. You know, you can do the shrine things. The, the, I forget the name of the land, but the tap land that lets you pick a color, that's great. All the the gain, ETB tapped gain lands are great for fixing. You've got Ecologist Terrarium, which has been an overperformer because it has synergy with not only artifacts, but modified. Um, I've just found, and, and then green, of course, getting, you know, the Tanuki to, to fix, other ways to fix. Like, I've just found that that splashing and that sort of ability to have very different permutations of decks is what's leading to the format feeling like it's going to have a lot of longevity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, let's talk about red. The elephant in the room. So I think after last week, you know, you said it was one, I said it was number two, and I think it is much closer to four or five, but it's not bad. That's the thing I want to staunchly defend about red. Yes, Yes, it might be the worst. And I think it is even probably true that you are not supposed to willingly go down the route of red. Like, I think you're supposed to try to get into green and black and blue. Definitely before you're getting into red. But... Not everyone can play the sagas decks, and especially once people realize how good blue and black and green are because of the sagas, they're going to be more contested. And I think red is very powerful and very good when it does its thing. And it is riskier to draft red for sure, because as we've talked about, red plays best with itself and other artifacts, and it's very red cards want more red cards, which then affords you less flexibility in the draft than when you're getting deeper into green and black and blue. There's a lot more ways to pivot in those colors into good decks than if you start red and then you're fighting with someone over red. That's not a great place to be at all in the format. No, it's it's a really bad place to be in the format. One of the big things that I think folks have to shift about red, and I have this a little later in the show notes, but I'm happy to talk about it now. And I, I know that other content creators have alluded to this or talked about this as well. So we're not the first people to say this, but removal is not good in this format. Or what I should say is removal is not necessary in this format because everything has already done a thing when it's entered the battlefield, like using a one for one removal spell on a saga feels terrible, right? Because it's already done something in the first two chapters. But you've also got stuff like Spirited Companion or Virus Beetle or everything is so cheap. And so you're trading down on mana or things, you know, have a reconfigure equipment on them and you have to kill that thing and then they just move the equipment elsewhere or whatever. Like the one for one removal is really not important. And so one of the things that I think is is going to keep people not drafting red correctly is valuing commies flare and voltage surge highly and you really don't the cards are not important to red strategy well and the other thing i would say about red is it doesn't get good sagas and i think the narrative is sagas are good sagas are good and mm-hmm. i keep seeing things in the discord about like the red one drop saga the kakazan something yeah, or whatever Kamado faces kakazan yeah that card is not i mean it's fine you're happy to play it as a red one drop in a red aggressive deck yeah but it's not a pull into red by any stretch of the imagination, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's true. So I posted a thing on Twitter yesterday about how red's definitely not the best color. I've moved down on it, but it's still one of my winningest colors, um, especially when paired with black. And someone was like, how are you getting into red? And I said, I'm mostly getting into red with early Oni Cult Anvils because I really like that card. I really like red, black, and I'm happy to like see if that is open if I get past that. And then beyond that, it's basically like the Twin Shot Sniper or a Rabbit Battery are the uncommons that make me go, okay, and those are, you know, out of contextual packs. And it has to be that followed up by seeing like simian slings and experimental synthesizers. Those are the commons that I care about in red. Well, and I think if you're trying to conceptualize what red wants to do, I think red is the antithesis to 
these saga decks in that yes. it's one of the best ways to be aggressive. And if you're drafting your red decks, your curve should essentially stop at three. Like yes. maybe you have a couple four drops, but it should be very low curve, very aggressive and leaning into artifact synergies pretty hard. Yes, and that is because the best thing that red gets to do at common is experimental synthesizer. And for that card to be good, for it to be Muldrifter, your curve has to be super low. So you can, you know, play it on turn two or three and be pretty likely to hit a land you can play or a spell you can cast. And then by turn five or six, feel like you can crack it and reliably hit a land or a spell you can cast. And I was thinking about this. It's actually kind of funny. I think you and I understand that so intrinsically after looking at the spoiler and like we're ready for the format because all those cards are obviously synergistic. And so that's why I think we got off to a good start with red. Mm-hmm. But all of those things we're saying about it, you have to do this. You have to do this. You it's have to lot. do this. Well, and that's one of the reasons why it's not good, right? Because you yes. do have to do work to make it good. Whereas when you're drafting the other colors, you just get to play great cards with no no restrictions, you know. And that's right. why the that's why the data is higher on those other colors too because you just play your sagas and you win because the sagas mm-hmm. are great. And that's why red has worse data because there are a lot of things that you have to do right to make red work and then there's some subset of the people using 17 lands that aren't doing the right things with red. Just careful, Ben. Don't alienate <laughs> too many of our listeners. I can I can hear the fire just burbling to the surface. All right, well, what's, I'm uh, passionate about it, I think. I, I, I I know, I know, I know. Uh, All right, what's going on with white? I think white is best as a complement to green in an enchantment synergy deck. I think that's the best thing white does. I think it pairs well with black also, but I think white black is not quite as good at going over the top as green X saga decks are. I think they just get to go a little bit Mm -hmm. bigger and that puts white black in a really awkward spot when it's facing those other decks because if you aren't going big in the saga mirrors, you're usually the one that's losing. I have really liked white black as a backdoor. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week in terms of I'm a huge fan of Kami of Terrible Secrets. That's the three and a black three, four. When ETBs, if you have an artifact and an enchantment, you draw a card, gain a life. I think that card, because no one else should want it, it's just such a really easy card to peg in packs of like, all right, if this deck is open, this is going to wheel. So you get to take a good card out of that pack early and wheel your payoff effectively, which is a really powerful thing to do in the draft. And so when that is open, when you, you know, when you're sort of figuring out what to do and you see a late commie of terrible secrets and you're, you know, you're getting yourself deep into black because you, you know, if you're like me and you think black is one of, if not the best color in the format, I think that deck comes together pretty consistently. So it may be like a tier two deck, but your fail case when it's open-ish is uh is pretty low i'd say right i agree and then i think those other two color pairs blue white and white red with white aren't great yeah i think white red you really want to be hyper aggressive because if you're trying to do the mid-range attack alone thing like you just lose to the saga decks because they're just better than you are (laughs) yeah so so going into our show notes here you had white last and i'm putting red last for myself and i'm bumping white up because while i agree with everything you're saying white i think still plays better with the other colors and is a really good self-contained splash package thanks to the samurai the five drop samurai that has um channel discard it search for a planes gain two life so you can have those as things that let you find your white source slash you can cast if you already have your white source and then you're splashing you know Oath is a great splash. The six mana make three, two, two, scry three, 
that's just that card is really really strong i'll be so interested to see if it stays as the top white common on 17 lands because that's crazy for a six drop but it's it's really good um you know you're splashing machiko's reign of truth maybe you're splashing an intercessor's arrest or whatever but white playing well in you know as a splash in the green black deck in the green blue deck even in a blue black deck and then you're doing some sort of artifact plus enchantments matters in esper whatever like white plays well with those colors in a way that red doesn't i think that is certainly true yes I completely agree. So with that as sort of like the umbrella of colors, what does that mean in terms of how you're navigating drafts in the format right now? For me, priority number one when I'm navigating drafts is taking every good saga that I see. And so in a second, we're going to go through like the tiers of sagas because I do think there are some people that are picking some of the less good sagas a little too aggressively or thinking Mm -hmm. that everything's a saga is good. And there are definitely some sagas that are interchangeable and don't matter that much. I think everything in the tier one, tier 1.5 sagas are really good, and I'm taking them very aggressively. So in tier one, uh, we've got four rock solid uncommons, Basaju Reaches Skyward, Life of Tashiro Umazawa, Behold the Unspeakable, and Machiko's Reign of Truth. And I think those are all... B plus in a minus level cards in some cases. Yeah, I'm definitely taking those over every common in the set and probably over most rares in the set. Yeah, they're just insanely powerful. And I think in a close second to that tier 1.5 sort of we have long reach of night, I think as the next best saga. And you could make a case that that should be in tier one, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, and shout out to arena. It is now not bugged. And still broken. And still broken. And it's, you know, I've, I started playing with it for the first time. I faced it a few times. And I'm like, oh, that's playing out better than I expected. That's put me in a, a tough spot. Even the times when you're like, I just discard two lands, you still feel like that's not great for me. Like lands are an important resource in this format. But it really is interesting. Like you play it when your opponent has one creature. Are they supposed to sack that creature and then not play a creature the following turn? That's terrible. But like it just really gets basically... It's really a three for one a lot of the time. Well, and when you recur it, it's game breaking. It's just game over when you recur it. Yeah. Yeah. Picking picking any saga up with geothermal Kami is just wildly powerful. <laughs> and it's so easy to do. So easy. Yeah, for sure. All right. So tier 1.5, what's happening? We've got Long Reach Knight there at the top of that one. And then I think there's a gap past that. And then Azusa's Many Journeys, I think that's the green one that makes a 3-3, gains you three life and lets you ramp if you have an extra land in hand. That and Okiba Reckoner Raid, that's the the black one drop that makes a 2-2 with Menace and drains your opponent on the first two chapters. And I think you could put the Modern Age in tier 1.5 as well. Although the Modern Age doesn't quite pull me into blue the way Okiba Reckoner Raid pulls me into black, but it's very close. Yeah, I even though the data says Network Specialist is the best blue common, I have Modern Age as the best blue common for myself currently, because while I think the ceiling of Network Specialist is higher, right, like in the decks where Specialist is nuts, it's really, really good when like you care about it being an artifact, when it's enabling ninjutsu. But the Modern Age is effectively blood, blood, two, three flyer for two mana. And the floor of that card is really high. So I, I really value that consistency. Yeah, I like Modern Age a lot. And then moving on to Tier 2, we've got Tales of Master Shishiro. That's the four and a green where you put a plus plus one counter on something and it gets Vigilance, which is super relevant because that's how you start to turn the corner against some of the other decks that are pressuring you. And then on the third chapter, you get the 5-5 Vigilance Haste. But it's not not as good as Dormant Grove, right? It's not as good as Dormant Grove. It's still very good, though. Yeah, it's 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 five mana. It's not as good as Dormant Grove, you know? It's not. And I think that's where <laughs> it doesn't quite pull you into green. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, it's a little I mean, it's very powerful, but it feels kind of mid rangey. where I think green actually goes even 
over the top of that, right? Green is like the best green decks, I think, are these super duper late game decks. This is one of the things that I hadn't really experienced when we recorded last week. You know, you were talking about green being the best color. I'd seen a lot of scuttle about that. And I was just sort of like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hop on board. People are saying that I trust it, but I haven't drafted green in that way yet. And I finally got to do the Gloom Shrieker geothermal kami loop. I finally got to do the Season of Renewal plus Colossal Sky Turtle loop. And I was like, oh, this is like this set's version of Clear the Mind. Yes. Like you just get to this point in the game where you're like, oh, do you have a way to disrupt this infinite combo? Because if not, there's no way for you to win. Right. Yes. I, yeah, it's absurdly powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, green is just insane in that respect. And and while Tales of Master Sashiro is very good, it it is a little, I think, weird in that it's it's doing that mid-range thing. It feels sort of like when you're drafting green and cube, like you don't really care about your four and your five drops. You want your one and two rampers, and then you want your seven and eight drops, you know? Right. And I think in that tier two, we've also got Era of Enlightenment. That's the one and a white uh, where at ETBs you scry two, you gain two life, and then you get a two two first striker. And then in tier three, we have Befriending the Moths, which is like, you know, if you have an aggressively slanted white deck, I think especially in some of these maybe white, black, artifact plus enchantments decks, you know, getting that plus one plus one and flying is very powerful. I think it's, you know, that's a saga where those first two chapters are way more impactful than the creature than you get effectively. Um, and then we've also got Fall of Lord Conda, which I am I am firmly in the do not main deck camp. That's a saga that becomes a one three creature its defender that when it dies you draw a card um and the first chapter destroys a creature with mana value four or greater i just feel like other than a handful of sagas you just don't have good targets in the format for this right i think that's the card we have the biggest difference on like i would put fall of lord conduct closer to tier 1.5 but i'm a lot more willing to risk it being dead because i think i'm more often playing late game decks where the only cards I lose to are bombs and then having an insurance policy like that against some of the bombs in the format feels pretty good. Yeah. I guess, but again, like some of the bombs are just like two or three mana. Like uh, the, what's up? The blue two, three that lets you pick up yeah. lands to Tameshi. recur things or the green enchantment that like copies abilities of enchantments. And is like, I just feel like a lot of the things that matter are cheap. They or really like, are. Yes. Or your opponent plays Oath and you're like, wait, there's now like that's your six drop, but I can't kill that either. Like, I don't know. It's just I've I have had that card stuck in my hand enough that I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, I hear that. And it's been stuck for me, too, for sure. I think warning for sure, if you're putting Fall of Lord Conda in your deck, that it could be a dead card. And then I think the Red Sagas are just largely irrelevant. The five drop one is bad. And I think the one drop one is good, but doesn't pull you into red at all. Yeah, I I Agree completely. And so I think those sagas are, especially that tier one, Baseju, Life of Toshiro, Behold the Unspeakable, Mishiko's Reign of Truth, are just busted and are going way too late. None of those cards should ever go past, like, pick two, pick three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. There's just no way. And so I think that's priority number one for me, is getting as many sagas as I possibly can. And then after that, I really want to be green if I can, because I think green supports the sagas the best and gives you the best mana fixing to play all the sagas. And the, the commons just say, go late game with sagas and you win. So what happens if green is cut? If green's cut, I really try to figure out if I have a deck that can compete with those decks full of good sagas. So, you know, maybe you're blue black ninjas with some good sagas and you think, well, I've got enough power and enough tempo that I can maybe, you know, fight toe to toe with those kind of decks and, and put them off balance a little bit. Or, you know, if I feel like I don't have that power level and the draft is not showing me those type of cards, I think you really have to try hard to get underneath the good sagas. And I think if that's the case, you really want to try to be a really tempo oriented blue black ninjas deck or super low curve red artifact aggro. Yeah, that, that all checks out for me as well. 
And I think that's the only way to really punish those saga decks, because if you let them get to where they're starting to resolve sagas and flip their Besage Regis skyward, it's just so hard to punch through their defenses. So that's my draft strategy right now. And I think as people start to take the sagas more highly, the format's only going to get better from here. So right now, to me, this is Saga's the format, and I think too many of them are going late enough that it's really hard to be incentivized to do anything else. And so if you're viewing the format like that right now, as Saga's the format, I think there are some other pillars of the format right now. And I think, again, as people start to contest those Saga's more, this is going to change and shift. But to me right now, the decks that are, you know, the main impetus of the matchups you're going to see are green-based Saga decks, that are capable of some really explosive starts while also just having better late game inevitability than anything else in the format because of all the stuff you alluded to, you know, the loops with the Sky Turtle and all that sort of stuff. And then I think next up are the Blue Black Ninjas decks. I have not played much Blue Black Ninjas, mostly because it's not hardly ever been open for me. I really want to play it. I just haven't gotten a chance to. Yeah, I was just pulled up my three Blue Black decks that I've drafted, and I've had pretty good success. I have had two trophies of the three blue black decks that I've drafted, but they're mostly not ninja decks. They're honestly mostly two of them have three Kami of Terrible Secrets and then two Kami of Terrible Secrets. And then just <laughs> trying to do that because Blue Black plays so well with that. You know, you have Modern Age and Network Disruptor and even Moon Circuit Hackers has types too, right? So like the three best commons in blue all have types. And then black you get, you know, Okiba Reckoner Raid and Virus Beetle. Like it's really easy to enable the artifact plus enchantments thing that Kami of Terrible Secrets wants you to do in blue black. And then sure, you have like a ninja package, but you also just get great sagas, right? You get Modern Age and Behold the Unspeakable. You get Okiba Reckoner Raid and the Long Reach of Night. Um, you get Twisted Embrace as, you know, whatever, fine removal. Um, I feel like Twisted Embrace sort of is, gets a caveat to my removal thing because one, it deals with everything, but two, that it does feel like a tempo play. So you're getting something from your removal in the way that even if you're killing a saga that did a thing, you're getting something of value of like you're enabling attack or growing a creature or getting modified, whatever. Check, check, check all these different boxes. Um, but Blue Black, yeah, I think putting it as a ninja's deck feels like a misnomer a little bit. That's fair. And I think Blue Black certainly can range from very aggressive to a lot more controlling, depending on how many of those sagas you get and how many, you know, late game cards like the Kami that you're talking about you have for sure. And I will say about Twisted Embrace, if you have not done the things with it, you can pick it up with Geothermal Kami, which is super busted. And Shrine Steward can go find it. I don't think we've given enough love to Shrine Steward in the format yet. That's fair. I, I think we shouted that out in the crash course, though, that it could go search up, you know, Twisted Embrace or Intercessor's Arrest. I think that's that's all reasonable stuff. Also, shout out to you. I've now had two trophy decks with uh, what's it called? Soul Sisters Ooh, swap. Call of the Soul Sisters call or something. Soul Sisters. What you can also do is, you know, sack a creature to swap, you know, swap a creature that has Twisted Embrace on it, send Twisted Embrace to the yard then swap an enchantment creature, get your Twisted Embrace back, kill something else. Like that card is the truth. You were absolutely right about that. It's awesome. Yeah, card is bonkers. I have it in a deck that I'm piloting right now. It's pretty sweet. So after that, we've got red artifact aggro decks where your curve essentially stops at three mana value. And we talked about why that's so important. Um, and it's just like it is really is mono one drops. You've got Synthesizer, Simeon Slaying, Rabbit Battery, Kimono Faces Kakazan. You're likely 
artifact themed to make your song shapers better, your dragon spark reactors better, hopefully your Oni Cult Anvil if you're there. But again, these are all cards we're talking about that are one or two mana. And I think as far as Dragon Spark Reactor goes, that is not great. Like that is not a reason to draft the artifact decks. I don't think it's a little too slow and a little too easily disruptible and a little too clunky. I think you're much more happy with something like the two mana one one with ward that grows when you play another artifact. Like that's much more of a pull into an artifact strategy than Dragon Spark Reactor is. I think it just depends. I think if you have an Oni Cult Anvil, Reactor is nuts because Reactor isn't cast. It's when an artifact enters the battlefield. So like if you can really just like use the anvil to turtle up, block, sack, gain a little bit, make a treasure with your scrounger, and now you're triggering your reactor like two to three times. I do think that the ceiling on reactor is way higher than the the construct. Yeah, that's fair. I think, yeah, certainly different styles of deck. I guess I was thinking more reactor in a beatdown deck, and that's much more of a combo artifact deck. Yes, I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah, just thinking, again, more like caveats for red of like, yes, this card can be good, but what you have to do is XYZ for it to be its best, and if not, it's going to fail, and I think that's another reason why we're seeing red not perform super well right now. Yep. And then as far as decks to try and avoid, at least right now, while the sagas are going late, I think red green modified is a little awkward because red doesn't really give you sagas or enchantment synergies to pair with your good green cards. Well, and it's so awkward because like what are your modified deck wants to be aggressive, but then are you playing like coiling stalker or whatever like two one ninjutsu and green are you like aki ember keeper is like okay but then every time i feel like i play these cards my opponent has life of tashiro umazawa like (laughs) i've had red green modified a couple times and it i mean i'm obviously never trying to draft the deck but sometimes it's just like that's what you have to do Oof, those those games it feels scrappy it feels like you can't quite get under the value decks fast enough and then you also like aren't good against aggro decks It's, it's not a good deck yeah Blue-white vehicles, I think definitely not a thing. It's blue-white good cards, but I think the problem with that is the blue-white good cards aren't quite good enough to compete with the good green and black cards. Yeah, that's fair. And then lastly, red-white samurais. Uh, I think this can compete as red-white aggro. I also think it can compete as, you know, depending on which color you're more uh, focused in, right? If you're more heavy red, then I think you can just think about it like we were talking about those red decks and then complement that with, oh, I've got a Machiko's Reign of Truth or whatever sort of things. Your Moth Rider Patrol maybe as a, you know, just good, cheap, aggressive card. Um, but I don't think the attack alone grind thing is really where you want to be. I think you you definitely want to be getting under people with red white and i will say something i forgot to put in the show notes is that shrine decks are very real you know we'd heard tales of it mm-hmm. last week i've played with them i think you have a deck now that has multiple shrines and i've played against it a lot it's very good and i think shrines are certainly real and shrines are an archetype yeah for sure and then one of the other things that at least strikes me more so than other formats and maybe i just should be doing this in other formats more and i don't <laughs> but I'm already, you know, if we're talking about gameplay now and what the format's like, from the moment my opponent plays their first lands, I'm already thinking about my role in the matchup because I feel like the colors have such clearly defined roles here. Like red really wants to beat down. Green really just wants to make it to the late game. Blue really wants to tempo you out and play some ninjas. So I think, you know, if I'm playing a forest and I see my opponent play a mountain turn one, I'm thinking, just don't die. Just don't die. <laughs> like That's the only thing I'm thinking about, you know? And yeah. when I'm red and I see my opponent play a forest, I think I have to push as much damage as humanly possible. Or, you know, if you're playing against blue, you have to block. I mean, you just can't risk your opponent ninjutsuing in some of the, the really powerful ninjutsu cards. 
Yeah, for sure. It's so interesting. I I caught my opponent the other day because I was like attacking with a spirited companion in white black. And I think they were maybe thinking that I had you were already dead. And so they like decided not to block. And then I ninjutsued in the rare creature with menace that lets you like remove that menace counter and then get a card out of their hand. Like you are really put in a tough spot against those uh, those ninjutsu style cards. Yes, and I think Black should be playing You're Already Dead more. I think that card's really good because just because of Spirit and Companion and Virus Beetle, it just puts yeah. your opponent in such lose-lose situations. I, every time my opponent gets me with You Are Already Dead, I try and shrug it off like, oh, well, whatever. I don't I have no way to avoid that. Or, or, but just like, it feels bad. It does <laughs> like, feel bad. It's one really mana, efficient. They kill your thing and draw a card. It feels real bad. Yeah, I think just other thoughts about the format that I have rolling around in my head. <laughs> I think if you're not hyper aggressive and you don't have ways to create gross amounts of value in the late game, like one of those engines like Turtle Plus Season of Renewal or Geothermal Kami Loops, I think your deck's in a bit of trouble. This definitely feels like almost a don't be mid-range format, but the sagas are kind of mid-rangey themselves, but they also just enable you to do the busted late game stuff too, while being great mid-range cards. So it almost seems like don't be mid-range without sagas to me or something like DBM WS. I don't know. It's um, a really, really clean, tight package. I'm sure that's going to catch on. I know. I think it's really going to stick. I put a lot of thought and effort <laughs> yeah. into it. I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. But I think the sagas do provide those late game engines as well while also just being great you know middle of the game cards they're just in really strong value packages like no matter how cheap or you know you move up to the four and the five mana ones i mean the whatever behold the unspeakable is just busted that card feels like a rare level card to me yes i mean most of them are intrinsically three for ones or two for ones at a minimum and then you can rebuy your three for ones or two for ones quite easily yeah. And I think one of the things people aren't doing enough yet is trading those creatures off and using the black and blue cards to either like blink them. Like there's that one in a blue card that blinks a creature. Oh, yeah. Planar incision. Yeah. And then the black card that gives a creature plus one plus oh and then returns it to the battlefield. Like I think those are other great ways to just accrue gross amounts of value with your sagas. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The gameplay is great in this format. I mean, we're talking a lot about, you know, the draft and the colors and like the the kinds of decks. And then these play out in a really interesting way. There's like really fun things to track, like sagas make you plan multiple turns into the future. And I think people quite haven't adjusted to like the huge swings that these can create, right? Like just anticipating, okay, and we talked about this a little bit last week of like, okay, the board looks clear now, but in a turn, my opponent's going to have a 5-5 haste vigilance. What am I supposed to do about that? Yeah, or Saga's ticking up on subsequent turns. They get a free creature every turn over the next two turns or the next three yeah. turns, you know? Yeah, and I think the spectrum of aggro to control is real here, and I don't think it's like, well, the aggro decks are bad or the control decks are bad. I think they're both viable, and and you know, usually we would say, and everything in between, but I don't really know if that's true. I don't know if you want to be in between. I think you want to be on those poles. I think you want to be doing super-duper low-to-the-ground stuff tempoing out your opponent or you know grinding out and i think maybe the exception being like a kami of terrible secrets black white black blue value-ish deck but even that i think you want that to skew more to the late game than anything and i think that's only going to get better as the sagas are more contested like i said i think that is the thing that sticks out to me the most is that it feels like to me from everything i can see about the format the only place for it to go is up yeah so spread the word Have people draft sagas highly so we can uh, see what the next metagame shift for the format will be.
Well, and honestly, best of three was a breath of fresh air in that respect for me when I played yesterday. I did four or five drafts in best of three, and I think it is much closer to that than best of one is at the moment right now. I mean, you, you had me at best of three was a breath of fresh air, Ben. I've uh, <laughs> been feeling that way for months now. Uh, you've got a draft log here for us to take a look at. Let's try and put some of these thoughts into context of a draft. All right. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Commons, there's Virus Beetle, one in a black, one, one. When ETBs, each opponent discards a card. There's Spirited Companion, one in a white for the one, one. Best Doggo, when it ETBs, you draw a card. And I think that's it as far as commons. Moving on mm-hmm. to the uncommons, there's Kappa Tech Wrecker, one in a green for the one, three with Ninjutsu, one in a green. When it ETBs, it has a Death Touch counter on it. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can remove a Death Touch counter from it. If you do, exile target artifact or enchantment that player controls. Yeah, that card is insanely powerful and is currently the top performing uncommon in the format, according to 17 lands. And then in the rare slot, we've got Junji, the Midnight Sky, three black black for a five five flying menace dragon spirit. And whenever it dies, you choose one. Each opponent discards two cards and loses two life. Or you put target non dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and you lose two life. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to put you to the test here, Ben, because I I was watching you do this draft on stream. And I know that this question came up, right, because Ryan Sachs had sort of already outed Capitec Wrecker as the mythic uncommon of the format. And people asked you at the time, are you you know, what do you think about taking Tech Wrecker over the the mythic dragon? You're like, no, I'm not on the Ryan Sachs train. Now that we're a few days later and you feel so strong about green and it's a really powerful uncommon. What are your thoughts? Two drop versus five drop here? And, and can I sell you on the tech wrecker? You can't. I'm taking Junji. I think okay. Kappa Tech Wrecker is extraordinarily efficient, and I think it's a very good card. But I think Junji is a much different type of card that demands that your opponent have removal on the spot that is exile removal, or they mm-hmm. are horrifically far behind. I think, and maybe that's just me not being good at magic, but I'm taking the <laughs> dragon here 10 out of 10 times every time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally reasonable for sure. I had a choice the other day. I forget if I was already in black or if it was, I don't think it was pack one, pick one. I think it was, I was already in black and I had Junji versus Tales of Master Sashiro. And I think because I was trying to do, I think, I think it was one of these like Kami of Terrible Secrets decks. And I was like, I think I got to take the two drop saga here to enable my Kamis. And I took that over the Junji and I don't regret it. Well, all right, sweet. All right. So let's take our Mythic Dragon to pick two. Moving on to pick two, much weaker pack here. You see the following cards as options there's Kami's flare one in a red instant deals three damage to a creature or planeswalker and it also deals two damage to that permanence controller if you control a modified creature there's Kami of terrible secrets to follow up our black card three and a black for the three four when it etbs if you control an artifact and an enchantment you draw a card and gain a life and then moving on to the uncommons there's the fall of lord conda two and a white and first chapter exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value four or greater Chapter two, each player gains control of all permanents they own. And chapter three, you exile the saga and then return to the battlefield transformed into a one three defender fragment of Conda that when it dies, you draw a card. This pack is stinky. You know, we were looking at this before the episode. I was thinking I would take Kami's flare here, but I kind of want to put my removal is terrible money where my mouth is and just take Kami of terrible secrets here. Is that crazy? That feels wrong to me but i i don't know the only reason i want to do that is that in the last pack when I mean, we didn't talk about this so there was the virus beetle but there was a kami of terrible secrets as well so it's not crazy to think that it could wheel and then 
you got two of them. I don't know. I really, I'm not taking Fall of Lord Conda. I don't like that card. You're probably supposed to take Kami's Flare, but I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at the Kami of Terrible Secrets here as perhaps the highest ceiling card with, with what we have. Yeah, I could certainly see that. I ended up on the Fall of Lord Conda, but do you want to move forward with Kami of Terrible Secrets? Sure, I'd love to. All right. So let's say we took Kami of Terrible Secrets there. And moving on to pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. There's Ooh. Uncharted Haven, which I think people should just be picking higher in general. That's yes. the tap land uh, that when ETBs, you choose a color and it taps to add one mana of the chosen color. That is very powerful and should be taken over any C-level common and a lot of the C-plus level commons. Agreed. There's Virus Beetle, one in a black for the 1-1 one, one when ETBs, each opponent discards a card. And there's Fang of Shigeki, green 1-1 one, one death touch. And then moving on to the uncommons, we have a suite of busted uncommons. There's Spinning Wheel Kick, Green Green, XX, Sorcery, Target Creature You Control, deals damage equal to its power to X, Target Creatures, and or Planeswalkers. Where are you at on Spinning Wheel Kick? Do you like it? Are you a believer? I, I, I do like it, and I am a believer. Because there's, I think there's sort of a chain reaction, a little bit of like, the removal isn't good. And so you're less likely to get blown out when you play this card and also you need your removal to be more than it's a one for one. And so something like spinning wheel kick that has the potential to be two for one, three for one green is already ramping, wants to get to the late game. I think spinning wheel kick is really good in the format. Yep. I agree. Probably like super solid B would be what I would give it right now. Yeah, for sure. There's also Mishiko's reign of truth, uh, one and a white for the saga chapter one and two target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And then chapter three, you get a creature with power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments you control. And there's also Dockside Chef, though. I don't think you're taking that over Virus Beetle like ever. That's the single black one, two enchantment creature. Pay one on a black sack and artifact or creature draw a card. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Virus Beetle is like, you know, I was thinking about this earlier because last week I was like, experimental synthesizer is going to be the golden egg of the format. I think Virus Beetle might be it. Like, it really ties the room together because it's a two drop artifact. I think it's like much easier to get enchantments than it is to get artifacts outside of red. You know, um, I, I, I've really loved virus beetle. Yeah. Virus beetle is a house. And as much as I would love to stay black, you know, if we have Jinji and, and the copy of terrible secrets, taking virus beetle is that's an awesome start to a draft. I think Michiko's reign of truth is too busted to pass here. I agree. And that was my pick as well. Moving on to pack one, pick four with a Jinji, a Kami of Terrible Secrets, and a Mishiko's Reign of Truth. See the following cards as options. There's Tales of Master Shishiro. Four and a green. First two chapters, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature or vehicle and give it vigilance until end of turn. And then chapter three, it transforms into a five, five vigilance haste. There's Shrine Steward. Five mana for the three, two. When it ETBs, you can search your library for an aura or shrine card, reveal it and put it into your hand. There's Ninja's Kanai. One mana for the artifact. Equipped creature has one tap, sack Ninja's Kanai. It deals three damage to any target and an equip cost of one. Where are you at on Ninja's Kanai? Uh, I think it's fine. I'm like eyeing it here because this pack is kind of weak and we've got two cards already that care about having artifacts. But like, again, removal is not, it's more that it's a cheap artifact than it is like, oh, I'm excited about a removal spell. You know, it also contributes to modified stuff if you care about that when you randomly care about that. But, you know, playing one of in a deck sometimes, but I'm not excited about it. Right. Well, and it's honestly really good in the red artifact decks because it can go face, right? That's a way to close out the game. But even so, like you're not playing multiples of it. You're not happily playing multiples of it, at least. Sure, I agree. There's a Kami's Flare in the pack. One in a red deals three to a creature, a Planeswalker, and two to that permanence controller if you control a modified creature. 
There's no great uncommons. There's a Dakuchi Silencer. This is one on a black for a 2-1 with Ninjutsu, one on a black. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can discard a creature card. When you do destroy target creature or planeswalker, that player controls. I am pretty low on this card at the moment. I am too. I, I mean, again, r- removal doesn't matter. This body doesn't matter. You're not getting like a reduction from ninjutsuing anything. Like, I just don't think it's a good card. And then your jam, a rare <laughs> slot, Mecha Titan Core, two mana artifact for a 2-4 vehicle. You can pay five to exile this and four other artifact creatures and or vehicles you control to create Mecha Titan, a legendary 10-10 construct artifact creature token with flying, vigilance, trample, lifelink, and haste that's all colors. When that token leaves the battlefield, you get all of those cards exiled with Mecha Titan Core, except the Mecha Titan Core back on the battlefield tapped under their owner's control. And it's got a crew cost of two. So for folks who are uh, fans of the MTG Top 5 series from Channel Fireball's YouTube channel, uh, you will know that this week I did unlock the Mech Titan Core in a blue-red deck. I think it had 18 or 19 artifacts in it, uh, multiple vehicles, and I did get to uh, to live the dream and win with the 10-10. Boom. But I would not take it here. That card is super narrow. And if we're going down a black-white path, I don't think Mech Titan Core is going to be at its best. So what do you like here? I think options are, to me, that really stand out. The Tails, the Kami's Flare, the Kanai, maybe a Dakuchi Silencer. Yeah, I think I might just go for Kunai here. It feels really bad. Like, Flare is maybe, quote-unquote, the best card. But I, again, want to put my money where my mouth is and say, I don't care about this in red. Like if this is synthesizer or sling, maybe. But again, you're this awkward because if I take that, what what is my plan for how that fits into these other cards I've taken? You know, we have with with having Jinji and Michigo's Reign of Truth, we have two really strong pulls into black and white, and I'm not quite ready to give that up. And with Kunai being synergistic there with both Reign of Truth and with our Kami of Terrible Secrets, thinking about wheeling the Terrible Secrets. I might just suck it up and take the ninja's kunai here, but I don't know. I don't feel strongly about any of these cards. I actually landed on Tales of Master Sashiro here for myself mm-hmm. because I just wanted to try to get into green. Yeah. And I think it's a saga. I really like the sagas. It's going to play well with Mishiko's Reign of Truth. I think it's just got a lot of things going for it. And I think you could, like you said, take the Kami's Flare here, but like it's but so hard why? to have a plan, right? <laughs> yeah. After that, like, is Kami's Flare the best card in the pack by all magic card evaluation standards? 100%. But it just is awkward in the format and awkward with what we've already drafted so far. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think the Tales of Master Sashiro pick is very respectable. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options there's a virus beetle more virus beetles floating around the table. One in a black one, one when ETBs, each opponent discards a card. There's Moon Circuit Hacker, one in a blue for the 2-1 with Ninjutsu Blue. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. And if you do, you discard a card unless it entered the battlefield this turn. There's Harmonious Emergence. Love that card. Three and a green, Aura, Enchant Land you control. Enchant Land's a 4-5 green spirit creature with Vigilance and Haste. And then if Enchanted Land will be destroyed, instead you sacrifice Harmonious Emergence and your land gains Indestructible. You mean Charging Monstrosaur, right? I mean Charging Monstrosaur. I meant it when I tweeted it. This card does work in the format. It's like not great. It doesn't pull you into green, but it's way better than it reads. It's a super solid C, C plus type card, especially if you don't get the other good top end green cards like Tales of Master Sashiro. Like it's sort of interchangeable with Tales of Master Sashiro and comes down earlier. If your deck's more aggressively slanted, you get the body a little faster. Yeah, I'm not sold on the Harmonious Emergence. Like I I hear everything you're saying. I just think it's, again, it feels like it's in this awkward spot of what is your green deck doing? Like, is it trying to be aggressive? Is it trying to go over the top? 
How does Emergence fit into either of those? It's a five drop beater that's an enchantment, I think, if you care about enchantment synergies. Yeah. I'm not and it can be searched I... up by Shrine Stewards. That's nice. Oh my God. What does your curve look like in these decks? This is like have, mono I, five I have, mana spells. I have two drops and then I skip to four and five drops. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that seems good. No, no more Lords of Limited patent double spelling for Ben. Just mono five <laughs> mana plays from turn five onward. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't think Emergence is a bad card. I just find it to be... You know, as you're saying, it's maybe if it's interchangeable with Tails, like I would just rather play Tails. And again, I'm not even sure how good Tails is in a lot of green decks. Right. But clear Virus Beetle here, right? Oh, yeah. You're thrilled to get Virus Beetle. Yeah. Snap up Virus Beetle, pack one, pick five. And then moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's a Shrine Steward, five mana for the three, two. ETBs, you can search your library for an aura shrine card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. There's Bearer of Memory. I've liked this card quite a bit. Two and a green for a three, two enchantment creature. And you can pay five and a green, put a plus one, plus one counter on target enchantment creature to give it trample until end of turn. Super good with your Besaju Reaches Skyward Giant. Uh, mm, yeah. Like 10 tens or whatever they are at the end of the game. Uh, so just including that as a one of in your green decks, pretty nice filler. Uh, and then Bronze Plate Boar in the uncommon slot. Two in a red for the three, two with Trample. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus two and has Trample and it has Reconfigure five. Pretty stinky pack. I want to ask your opinion about a card in the pack that we didn't touch on, which is Clawing Torment. Single black aura enchant creature or artifact. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets minus one, minus one and can't block. And it has at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life. I haven't main decked this card myself, but I have found it to do work against me a lot of the time. I think it's probably playable if you're a very aggressive black deck. Well, I also think that things are small enough that like it's not hard to sort of invalidate a card or feel like you can whatever you turn it into a one power creature and now it's like it's hitting you for one but the clawing torment's hitting your opponent for one every turn i don't know it's it's been fine it's got types i'm not saying you take it here but i'm just it's a card it's a card that i feel like i need to maybe adjust my assessment of because i haven't played it main deck yet but every time it's played against me i'm like yeah that is kind of annoying all right yeah i'll put it on my radar for sure um so what do you like out of this pack it's kind of stinky nothing i ended up on bronze plate board just as the only card that might matter but probably thought i wasn't playing anything out of the pack yeah i think i might just take the bearer of memory following up the tales of master sashiro but yeah, yeah that I, makes sense I don't feel strongly about any of these cards doesn't really matter here uh pack rounds out with an undercity scrounger pick seven uh scoured barons that's the white black dual land pick eight and then we wheel pack one pick nine a virus beetle which should never happen yeah, well, and, and there's that copy of Terrible Secrets that I was saying could, could wheel as well. That's there, too. I mean, you're never taking it over the virus beetle, obviously, but just uh, just pointing it out there. Yeah, and you're very happy with your uh, second pick copy of Terrible Secrets that we took over the fall of Lord Conda right now. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. see that in the draft log, but if you make that pick, pick two, you're, you're shaping up for a very nice white black deck if you're in your spot. Pick yeah, 11, absolutely. pick up a Bamboo Grove Archer, a Ninja's Kanai, some other stuff, and then pack two, pick one. Open up a Springleaf Avenger that's the green ninja. 3GG for the 6-5 with ninjutsu 3 and a green. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Mostly because there were no great black or white cards in the pack. And then green ended up just flowing. Got a generous visitor into Jukai Preserver. And just ended up with a very good green black deck. Yeah, it looks super solid. Looks like your record was 7-2. Maximum games, maximum wins. You'll love to see it. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I- I'm really happy with this as our limited format for the time being ben it's uh it's really got a lot of options 
Yes, I completely agree. I think it is going to be a font of content. And I think it is complex enough that there's going to be a lot of room to do episodes on like, here's how to do this thing really, Mm -hmm. really, really well. Like it's that level of deep, I think, which is just going to be awesome as content creators to get a chance to dive in on really how to make the Red Artifacts deck work, you know, once sagas chill out a little bit or how to really draft, you know, blue X decks or whatever. I think there's just going to be a lot of things to explore. Yeah, I agree. All right. Great place to wrap us up here. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.